You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're back at you today. I'm Doug Thorpe, your host. And today I'm going to take a journey into a realm of business and actually life that, from my view, doesn't get talked about enough, certainly not in business. And that is the idea of redemption. And we think of redemption in terms of people who have stumbled and fallen, maybe made some grave mistakes and, uh, you know, need to need to rebound from that and recover from that. And if you're an entrepreneur, you probably if you haven't had one of those slip and falls, you're you're it's not a question of if, but when and when that does happen, what are you going to do about it? My guest has done some deep dive study in this arena. His name is Joseph Bucci and uh, Joseph, welcome. Thank you so much, Doug, for having me on. I appreciate it. He has an amazing backstory of, of his journey to do this work. So, Joseph, let's just dive in right there. Tell everybody kind of how you got focused on this topic and, and some of the, the great work that you've done with it. Thank you, Doug. Um, well, I came out of corporate America, 20 years of human resources, um, had an interest uh, being a uh, follower of Christ, uh, interest in redemption. And uh, in my doctoral work, uh, was looking at redemption in the management literature and uh, started finding uh, surveys, actually uh, 18 studies I read about how when a person is uh, terminated for cause and then rehired, how they think they're bulletproof. And uh, in many cases, uh, that never lasts. Uh, uh, they want to get back. I don't know if they want to get back, but they want to get one over on the business or whatever it might be. 18 studies, it was never successful. So, you know, being the uh, inquisitive young doctoral student at 50 years old, I said, okay, well, has it been successful? And what did those managers do? So I just happened to have the opportunity to start to interact with different managers who'd been successful. Uh, there was one firm outside of Pittsburgh when I was uh, studying out there uh, that actually had a, a planned uh, redemptive uh, uh, initiative as part of their hiring uh, because they had a very difficult process in their uh, uh, their work. It was printing, uh, we're talking 15 years ago or more, uh, very intricate work and, and not all of their employees were uh, committed or stuck with it and they had absentee problems and the like. Uh, they actually found that uh, they had success bringing people back the second time uh, because people knew what they were getting into. And so I looked at some principles uh, on, on what they did. You know, the scared straight thing, if you remember that from the oh, yeah. 70s. Some of us are old enough to remember that. And Saturday Night uh, Live. <laughs> yeah, so um, those kind of things. And so I wrote that up and I... I um, you know, I was graduated from my uh, program and uh, uh, being now in the academy, uh, needed to get published. So I, I actually went to a publisher, uh, was a faith-based publisher, and uh, the woman told me, well, we wouldn't publish that. And I said, why wouldn't you publish it? And she said, well, it's all about business. You All, you, all your stories about business. I said, well, yeah, there are people of faith who are in businesses. And she's she said to me, she said, our people would be interested in redemption in other fields. 
So I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take that into consideration. Act ended up going to an academic publisher with my first book, uh, Redemptive Leadership. I really wanted to write a leadership book because, you know, Doug, you kind of mentioned it in the beginning. Uh, all of us have uh, made mistakes. Uh, in my research, uh, one author, I've got it right here on the desktop, uh, 70 to 75% of employees demonstrate some level of aberrant behavior. It could be just uh, goofing off, horsing around, could be tardiness, uh, all the way up to sabotage. Uh, uh, certainly those kind of people, you know, excessive uh, aberrant behavior is not something we're interested in. But good managers have to manage people. Uh, we don't just uh, talk at them, give them commands. You talked about this on a podcast not too long ago. Command and control leadership is, uh, is over. Uh, we have to find other ways to tap into people's interests and bring them on board, develop loyalty and commitment to the organization. Yeah. So, um, you know, not everyone is going to hit it out of the park. And, and that's actually a misnomer that you find the ideal uh, hire, you know, hire. Uh, people are going to make mistakes. But what happens if somebody completely screws up and blows up on the job and and um, so you look at it, that aspect, but then you also look at people in other uh, arenas who have failed. They failed miserably. They wound up in prison. They have a drug habit. Uh, maybe nothing out of their own control. They're in an abusive relationship. Uh, these are human beings created in a divine image who have great potential. And, and so after I spoke to that publisher, I was uh, fortunate I started meeting some of these people, a young man who was in the Navy who should have been bounced out. He already violated all the principles, was on, I remember the terms, but uh, uh, got excessive discipline, should have been dishonorably discharged, but they have this thing in the Navy called the uh, Custodial Corrections Unit. And uh, all the officers in that program volunteer for that, that duty. And they're there to break those kids. They're there to uh, try and uh, redeem those kids, turn them around. And that's what happened to this young man. And uh, now he's a terrific worker. Stayed in the Navy another six years. They would have lost the contribution of that young man if they had dishonorably discharged him. He would have gone back to the streets where he was from. So uh, many organizations have seen the benefit of whether an employee assistance program or, or something, uh, a reclamation effort to try and help people uh, because they have qualities that the organization can use. So I ended up compiling all these stories and that's what Redemption Inc. is about. It's interesting. There are a number of things you said in that that I want to address. And and the first one I'll start with is the military situation. Um, in, in my day in the Army, I was post-Vietnam. So, of course, Vietnam was a dark chapter in our uh, national military history. And there were a lot of ramifications of what happened in and around Vietnam. And I was in on active duty right after that. And one of the things we had going on, uh, the draft had been canceled. We needed soldiers. And it was a popular thing for the local judge to send a kid who had violated some civil statute, speeding ticket, drunken disorderly, minor breaking and enter, that kind of thing. He was given an alternative to either go to jail or join the army. And 
you can imagine what most of them did. They, they agreed to join the army and, and we got to deal with it. <laughs> and so our programs were never as formal as what you described the Navy one to be, but I can vividly remember having uh, troop units. And one of my early assignments was in, as a training commander. And, uh, you know, half these kids were, had already violated something in, in, in civil laws somewhere and the only reason we had them is because they were technically convicted. Now, mm -hmm. not felons by any means, but nonetheless behavioral conviction. And uh, we were challenged with turning them around. Mm -hmm. Did a lot of them make it? Absolutely, they did. They uh, got focused and found a system they could uh, relate to and operate with and and find some motivation and inspiration. So it did work. And so I'll, I'll, I'll park that there and, and just leave that. But the other thing I, I do want to double down on is this idea in modern business, when we have an employee that fails, what are we going to do with that person? You know, the, I think along the way, the, the quick answer is you, you terminate them. You know, it's going to cost mm -hmm. you time and money to deal with them. So you just want them off the payroll. You want to let them become somebody else's problem. Right. But in the long run, is that really the best answer? Right. Right. No one, no one will um, check uh, references in that amount of detail. Uh, if you call an HR department, having worked in HR for quite some time, uh, they'll just give you facts when they started, when they finished, what their pay rate was. Exactly. Uh, and, and the, you know, some of the top books on in this, the, you know, the A method of hiring, they say, well, you got to go deeper. You got to, well, of course you want to get more information because you want to know if you're inheriting a problem. Well, how about we solve our own problems with people, especially in this environment where it's very di difficult to get people. Uh, I was thinking today as I was prepping uh, for being with you, uh, I did some research on uh, failure in uh, financial institutions. I have that study right here. I, I included it in a, in a different uh, research paper, but uh, it's very ironic where people failed on the job uh, and cost the business a lot of money. Uh, the ones who stayed to clean up the mess, who took responsibility, uh, did not as advance as far in their careers as the people who left right after the mess was found out. They advanced further in their careers. And, and that's just, it's just sad that uh, I take responsibility for uh, the mess I made. The business is willing uh, to allow me to stay, to work with me, to clean the mess up. Uh, and yet uh, I don't advance as far as someone who makes the mess and then leaves the organization. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I guess I've never heard it framed quite that way, but boy, I'm, I can think of uh, several situations uh, that I'm, I'm keenly aware of. And I would have to say, and situations I'm thinking of were never part of a study that I knew about, but the outcome was exactly as you described. The people that stayed to help clean up and fix it and do the honorable thing uh, were either consciously or subconsciously penalized for promotion opportunity in the future. Because mm -hmm. I guess it was like the proverbial black bean got put in your file and it's like, well, you're okay now, but boy, that thing you did was not right. good. Yeah. 
Yeah, so your your whole approach is common sense leadership and our leadership powered by common sense. And, you know, it, it we're in that situation now where it's difficult to find good people. And, and really common sense, I think, is, you know, grow your own, right? Uh, let me uh, develop my team, help them to be successful. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll deal with those uh, problems. Uh, you could certainly terminate and let them be somebody else's problem, or you can try and um, help them find success. And so does the organization support that? Does it provide the tools and employee assistance program? Does it provide uh, um, either the manager the flexibility, or is it this constant struggle uh, commitment to uh, the uh, make the numbers versus the people, right? Commitment to production versus commitment to people. You know, that goes all the way back to the 1960s, Blake and Moten's leadership grid. We're constantly having to balance that. And we want to make the numbers. I'm not saying don't make the numbers, but uh, it's people who are making the numbers. And we've got to help them to uh, to feel that ownership and part of what we're doing. And and, and that means getting dirty, helping them uh, find success. In your studies and, and with all the research and interviewing you've done, are there any um, common elements that make up the mindset of the leader who either is or is not willing to offer that sort of redemption program? Good question. Uh, so the original research, and, and this is, in the second book as well, in the back in the appendix, we talk about what they did in the reclamation project. The first thing they did was they really look at the circumstances behind what happened. Uh, they really want to have a fact-based approach because you know when you're dealing with um, situations like this, people become emotional. I've been in HR many years when you're dealing with layoffs and things like that, people become emotional. So you sure. got to deal with the facts. What are the facts? What led to this? What happened? Uh, the whole effort uh, to remove that, uh, you know, box on the employment application, I've been convicted of a crime, uh, gives that person a chance if they're coming in new to the situation to say, hey, you're going to see this. I wanted to meet you. I want you to know the facts. So whether you're bringing in somebody who is a former prisoner or whether you're dealing with a former employee who's being reinstated, what are the facts, what led to this? Uh, and then getting some buy-in, um, you know, let's not keep it a secret that we're bringing somebody in. Uh, we don't have to, you know, trumpet it or put banners in the, in the plant, but let's let the work group know that uh, this is happening. We're active to help people become successful. You're gonna be part of that. This is a team effort. This is not just my effort. This is your effort to help this person integrate. We would do that with a new employee, uh, but particularly with somebody coming in who may not have the same level of skill, uh, sophistication, whatever it might be. The manager sits down with that person and says, hey, you're getting the second chance. Again, that scared straight type of thing. Um, you know, let's talk about what this looks like. Let me talk about, uh, the, you know, the Blanchard approach, Ken Blanchard's approach. This is what a good job looks like. This is what my leadership looks like. If you do this, I will do that. And this is how that's going to work. Very, very clear. Uh, some initial scrutiny, maybe uh, uh, so they know, hey, I'm going to be looking over your shoulder a little bit more. Uh, the manager has to certainly have a commitment to the process have some ownership 
of that. Uh, and then again, how does the organization support that? What other tools are there? If there's a setback, do we say, ah, it hasn't worked out, we're done. Uh, are we looking at things long-term or short-term? A lot of these things uh, come into play when you're working with these groups. Uh, again, another example from the, um, I want to say it's from the CNBC article uh, that was published, the uh, uh, next chapter. Uh, I can remember the uh, the gentleman who was uh, the CEO of, of Slack, I believe. Yeah, here it is. Um, uh, Craig Arnold, uh, was that him? Uh, anyway, the CEO of Slack uh, was involved working with these tech companies. He was involved in a, a prison group, found out uh, about this, wanted to make a connection for these people. So he started this group called uh, Next Chapter. So they started it. He, he became aware of it in 2016. They started the group, it says, the article says two years later. So let's say 2018, okay? Given the benefit of the doubt, let's say 2019, they really got it up and rolling. This article was published three years later, okay? In three years with all the different people that they encountered and worked with, they were successful in having 31 candidates who made it through the program, only 31. They didn't say how many started, but I can only imagine it was a lot more people. So yeah. what that tells you is it's not an easy process and you have to be willing to tough it out. You have to be willing to say, hey, there's an end goal here and it's making production, yes, but it's also transforming people's lives. What you did in Vietnam or afterwards was change people's destiny. That's what you did. The ones who are successful, when you saw that turnaround, you didn't know a thing because you're just a kid, right? you changed somebody's life yeah. and maybe you saw them later on in life and they came up to you and they said, Doug, boy, I really appreciate it. Maybe not, but that's what you were doing. You were affecting their destiny, their family, um, so many other lives by you having an influence and, and turning that aberrant behavior around. Yeah. I, I think that one thing I, I want to I feel compelled to maybe level set here, um, and, and I'm going to make a statement, and you can tell me if you agree or not. I think in respect to being an effective leader in a business and an owner of a company, you, you still have your own level of responsibility to the cause and to the entity you've created or, or mm -hmm. you're managing. And I think when we're talking about this, the, the thing that comes to my mind is the classic bell curve. Mm -hmm. And I want to caution them for anybody that's listening and already questioning what we're talking about here. I, I, I would argue <clears throat> that there are aspects of the, the far extreme bands on the bell curve. There are behaviors, there are actions right. that you can't tolerate. You're right. going to have to let go. You can't offer to redeem everybody. Right. But to me, the point here is you've got that big bubble in the middle of the bell curve, a large population of, I'll call it violation of whatever standard or event there was that you might be able to redeem and turn into greater good in the long run. So I'm not, I'm not advocating for an absolute that right. everybody on the curve ought to get the opportunity right. for redemption. And I'll, I'll tell a quick story that I'm thinking of that prompted my mind about that is that I was once responsible for a large team of contractors that had to go out in the field and mobilize for a client. And 
we had the plan was to deploy these people in large waves, kind of like the military would do in an in a in an armed operation. But we had the first wave land at this local hotel. There were about ninety of us uh, booked into this hotel. Very first night, we were on the ground there in the city where the job was. About 2 a.m., I get a call from the front desk and said, uh, Mr. Thorpe, is so-and-so one of your employees? And I said, yes. And they said, well, would you mind coming down here? And I walked down there, and there is my employee standing with two local police. And she had been arrested for drunken disorderly conduct in town mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and was not shutting down i mean she was they had her restrained but she was like a cat a wild cat on a leash and um bordering on assaulting the the cops and so anyway long story short next morning bright and early i called my headquarters and said we got to let this lady go i can't have this on this job you know and then so they did hr took over and processed so in 24 hours, she was off the job. And uh, should that have been a redemption case? I don't know. But, you know, I, as the leader of that team, mm-hmm. had to make a quick call, sure. kind of a command decision and say, nope, right. you're out. Mm-hmm. You're done. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that. Forgive me for interrupting. I, I, I certainly, you know, I, I'm the idealist, right? Uh, I'm, the, I'm the one using hyperbole here. I'm the one saying, come on, let's consider this. And you're bringing us back to that common sense. You know, not everyone is willing to make a change. Uh, I talk about that in uh, both of my books, uh, this one and and the previous one. Uh, Redemption is not simply reputation management, okay? I, I said something inappropriate, now I'm being shamed on social media, so I need to get that fixed. It's also not a quick fix. And and the fact is not everyone is willing to go along. There has to be uh, the sincerity on the part of the individuals wanting to make a change. Again, you go back to an AA uh, type of situation, you know, the person has to acknowledge that they have a problem, they've made a mistake. And in the initial research, uh, many of the people who are given second chances acknowledged that they had made some mistakes in the past and were looking forward to a change. But you can't change a heart. That's the other principle you're saying. A person has to be willing to make the change. Um, I guess the old joke uh, about how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb, right? Um, The light bulb has to want to change. Uh, In this particular case, a person really has to be willing to have that. So uh, there are going to be certain situations. Yeah, there are some people uh, who, who will never be let out of prison. I, I, in the book, I talk about uh, uh, sex offenders. And uh, I interviewed a chaplain in a prison. Uh, and, and it was kind of a controversial thing. My wife was really cautious about me putting it in there. But essentially, I, I interviewed the chaplain. I reviewed all my notes with her. And uh, she said, yeah, it's a go. That's exactly what the situation is. There are some of those folks in there who will never see the light of day. They are warped, their minds are broken. Uh, But there are some people who carry that label. Uh, For example, a 20 year old young man who takes inappropriate pictures of his 17 year old girlfriend and posts those on the internet. Uh, If found out and convicted, he becomes a sex offender and carries that label for the rest of his life. 
Um, you, you and I might say that he's a knucklehead. Um, and, and again, I don't want to diminish or dismiss the severity of this type of crime. I want to put a caution in there. Um, but our, our legislative, um, how we hold people accountable for this at the current time uh, causes people with this label to have a very, very difficult time finding uh, opportunity. Uh, no one, no one wants to touch these people or hire them. And, and many of them have done bad things. Uh, some of them have done stupid things. Uh, so um, there are some people who cannot be redeemed. Uh, there are some people who carry a label and the label prevents us from being able to help them find success, but they are human beings whose talents and abilities could be helpful and useful if we can find a way to make that connection. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on that note, what comes to my mind is the idea that um, I think there are still business leaders and owners out there that, that have a, a really thin line on what is acceptable performance and what is not. Mm -hmm. And, I would argue that even in the case of just pure business related matters, when someone's operating in their role and working for you and they make a, a grave mistake and it feels uh, irreconcilable or, or, you know, serious damage to the good of the company, do you offer them any form of redemption? Um, and, and so we're not even talking about uh, criminal activity or right. sexual or psychological type crime, right. mental related issues, but but just, well, I guess technically in the eyes of the law, it would be a civil type matter, but mm -hmm. to break a contract or right. uh, lie to a customer or something along those lines. Right. The question in my mind is, as a leader, what is your vision of how should you deal with that person on your team? Hmm. And I think it's, that's it's, the lesson maybe to talk about right. here. Forgive me uh, again for interrupting. So it's, a, it's your values. Where are <laughs> your values in display in your organization? Uh, you don't have to have my values, but you have values. Are they clearly expressed? Are they defined? Do people know what they are? Um, is there grace and mercy there? Uh, maybe not. And depending on the situation where my wife works in a healthcare organization, uh, she would say they can't. They're dealing with uh, medicine. They're dealing with the very technical types of um, equipment and, and situations that are life or death. Um, we can't do that. And yet she's also told me stories of where people who have failed uh, petitioned and were, and were able to be brought back. Um, so there's also character issues here. Um, you know, is it a question of, of poor judgment or is it a question of poor character? And I think that's another thing. Now, Doug, nobody wants to address these things. I don't want to say nobody, but these are really deep-seated uh, issues. Um, we're trying to build a product. We're trying to serve a customer. And yet, uh, uh, we're building character. We're demonstrating our values and how we deliver our products and services. So uh, what does that look like with our employees? What does it look like when we face challenges, when we fail? Uh, those are questions we should ask ourselves. 
I agree. And I tell you what, with that question in mind, we're going to take a short commercial break. And when we do come back, folks, hang with us. I I really want to get more into some considerations on what business leaders ought to be thinking in this uh, very important area. So hang with us. We'll be right back. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today my guest, Joseph Bucci, we're talking about this idea of redemption in the workplace and and really uh, ultimately redemption in society, but we're a business show, so we're going to keep with the business theme. Joseph, when we went on break, we were talking about the sort of the relative matters of when, where, and how you you kind of draw the lines. And we talked about values and character. I was reminded, I I was just in a meeting this morning with some clients, and we were talking about a situation where a fairly senior employee was let go right before the Thanksgiving holiday. Mm -hmm. And the reason... It, it, it by contract and by company standards that he had committed a terminable offense, but it involved violating some company values. And the particular ownership, this is a privately held company, and they had they had cast a landscape or a definition of some pretty noble values in who and what they wanted to be to the marketplace. And this gentleman, despite 35 years of continuing service, just had gone down a path of perpetual violation of those standards. And after multiple instances, they finally said enough and they gave him his termination papers. And it was a sad event to see somebody of 35 years have to go out the door. But hmm. the person had made the choice to exercise the the character that they wanted to be versus the the moral values that the company was trying to put forth there could well be a reckoning of some sort because they happen to be a unionized shop so the union's gonna there's some adjudication that has to happen to finalize everything but it's unlikely he will be reinstated is the bottom line so mm-hmm. um to your point, I think there are those things that we as business leaders can and certainly do have the right to enforce, you know, standards that need to be set and performance needs to be according. But I think the question still at hand is if you have a person that somehow falls short of that, what are you as a leader going to do to give them a second chance? And America, anyway, is famous for being a land of second chances. Mm-hmm. So question at hand is where does that come into your own personal lens of how you want to run your business? Mm-hmm. Those are hard questions, right? Um, uh, but certainly uh, we want to run our businesses based on our values. That's what we teach our introduction to business students. Uh, uh, we spend a lot of time helping them to identify the values. And then what's really interesting is when they put their, we have them build these uh, mini business portfolios, 
um, I always have to kind of remind them about what the values are. And, you know, uh, we don't want to make generalizations about business, but oftentimes, uh, uh, again, we're trying to be careful here, not just to say, well, we'll, we'll get the sale, but whatever it takes, we become more utilitarian uh, than that. But uh, dealing with people, we want to live our values. We want to have a, uh, an environment where, uh, you know, is the company living our values? Are we assessing our employees and asking them if the company is living its values? That's certainly valid when you look at, um, I think it's the book, First Break All the Rules, when they look at the uh, Gallup organization and the 2 million employee surveys that were looked at, and there's 12 questions uh, that they ask uh, of employees to really get a, um, a sense of uh, where people are at and employee engagement. You know, has my supervisor been in touch with me, Talk to me about my work? You know, the question is, is the company living its values? Are we just expressing them? Are they on the walls and on banners or are we actually living them? So then when you do have someone who's not living according to the values, you have the moral authority to speak to that, right? Uh, it's 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 hypocritical to say these are our values, and then someone skirts certain values in order to uh, achieve some goal or something like that. And we applaud that, but then um, you know we have a problem when another set of values are are violated. So consistency in expressing values certainly is critical. Uh, for any business and, and water cooler feedback, right? Knowing whether we're living according to those values is important. You know, I'm as you were describing all that and, and the values is the key word there, I'm, I'm thinking just um, in the episode just prior to this when uh, for anybody listening now, you might want to dial back to it. I interviewed a gentleman who spent 20 plus years in the Hard Rock Cafe organization, and he was actually ultimately the head of learning and development for them as a global brand. And, you know, when you, if you know and think about the Hard Rock Cafe, you know, famous for, you know, the rock and roll lifestyle and your your wait staff probably has some tattoos and they've got piercings mm -hmm. and they've got hair and they've got, you know, they're the they're prototypical outliers of what some might consider mainstream culture. But his point, and it was a fascinating one, and I had a blast doing that show, by the way. It was just so much fun. But, uh, you know, they embraced that culture. They they wanted, he, he said the word was, they wanted the broken toys to come to work for them. Mm -hmm. and they And they built an environment for those people to feel the connection because as human beings, we're still wired. Our species still is tribal in nature. We, mm -hmm. we nobody survives long isolated in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. We, we have to have community and connectivity, whatever that may be. And in this case, the founders of hard rock had a brilliant vision and leveraged the heck out of the opportunity to build a culture where people like that could fit in, find a purpose and be energized and mobilized. Mm. And, um, you know, you, you think of white collar America and you, you would never think about hiring the average 
waitstaff employee from Hard Rock to work for you, but yet Hard Rock proved that there was a, a value there and, a, and an ability of those people to perform at a very high level. And there's a lot of loyalty, a lot of commitment. Uh, the research on the, um, uh, the McKinsey article, I believe I sent this to you. I know I sent you the CNBC article. Um, the research says that people who are given second chances, uh, former prisoners, former drug addicts, and the like, are so much more loyal and committed to organization. I mean, don't you want these kind of people? Sure, their skill level uh, is probably not as as strong in some cases, but you know, and what what are you hiring? Uh, are you hiring for skills alone or are you hiring for values? Can you have both? Ideally, you have both. Uh, but you can train someone who is totally committed, who is is grateful because you're giving them this opportunity as compared to someone who's highly skilled uh, and maybe uh, not as uh, dedicated to the organization. They're starting here and they're going to move on somewhere else. So yeah, that's that's a great formula for well, them. That's and, a great and, niche. And and Jim even made that. His name is Jim Knight. He even made that point in the show that um, uh, they they were hiring for fit, not for skill, because they believed any skill they needed right. could be trained, and that's it could right. be trained to their standard. And you know, there is something to be said for skill is a relative thing. You might hire somebody because they've got a great resume with some kind of experience, but what you find out is what they learned is very contrary to what you would like to be done. Right. And you're, right. you're untraining them to, to learn the new way is sometimes more difficult than whether they had it at all in the first place. Right. Why does Southwest Airlines reportedly hire people who fit their culture and not people from other airlines because oh, yeah. oh, they yeah. want fit and they'll teach the skill. Yep, that's absolutely right. Well, in the time we've got left, Joseph, uh, share with us a couple of your success stories that you found out in your journeys and study. The book is a, a compilation of stories. I wanted to follow up with a theme on my original book and see if those principles that we talked about before for how you bring somebody back after they've been, you know, terminated for cause and react. I wanted to see if those themes were consistent in these uh, stories, and, and some of them are, but the stories themselves are just fascinating. A uh, woman I worked with here who was. Uh, um, brilliant and and incredibly talented who uh, was presenting one night about a, a new business opportunity and how we've got to help these um, uh, abused uh, women. It goes into great detail telling a story, a compelling story about one individual and suddenly says, and that woman was me. And you're overwhelmed uh, with this. How come I didn't know? Well, of course you don't know because um, she hasn't told everyone, but one in four uh, women reportedly have intimate partner uh, problems. Uh, one or four women in the United States, I think, according to um, some research. So it, it's incredible the amount of pressure uh, that people are feeling and we're not aware of and, and what resources are out there to help them. Uh, the, the, um, uh, the Green Beret, one of my favorites. Um, I love this guy. Uh, blown up one too many times. 
but would not admit it. Finally got to the point where he couldn't, you know this uh, from your experience, uh, could not defend his, uh, his flank, his team. Uh, he needed to be able to defend his team and, and he was losing his balance. He was vomiting uncontrollably. He had these things. He had a traumatic brain injury, went to his command and they said, you're not sick. You don't have a problem. You need to get back out there. Uh, so just the whole learning curve of, of addressing that and admitting that and then working back uh, from that because uh, traumatic brain injury represents itself in, in uh, you know, many different ways, but there's only one way they, they only treat it one way. Um, so his story is just incredible, uh, incredible story. Uh, the two entrepreneurs, uh, one uh, a drug addict, uh, the other, these two guys named Chris grew up together, the same area, uh, one very wealthy family, um, one the other side of the tracks, I don't have to tell you, uh, races, right? Um, one grew to a top salesperson in a major corporation. The other uh, wealthy got into drugs, uh, wound up uh, both he and his brother addicted to heroin. Uh, they reconnected these two Chris's at, at his brother's funeral. And uh, the one very successful man felt compassion to the other, stepped away from a very successful career, uh, started pouring into him, not only from a spiritual perspective, but also teaching him about business. Ultimately, business is what set him free. The first gentleman uh, acquired a business, trained this other gentleman, said, if you get off drugs, uh, you'll be able to be successful in this business. Gave him, he gave him the business. Uh, the only condition was let's take the money from the profits and we'll sink it into other businesses where we can take other former drug addicts and other people who no one else wants to deal with, who can't find work other places and will help to set them up in business. Those two guys now are running a successful local franchise, opening stores here and there. Um, it's just, just remarkable stories of people's resilience, but very consistent. You know, Don Miller, I'm sure, uh, uh, the story branding guy. Um, each one of them needed a guide. Each one of them needed a redemptive intervention where someone yeah. came along and, and helped get them back on track. And that's what's so exciting about these stories, because we all need the same thing. We need to be self-aware that we all need sometimes someone to sit us down and, and set us straight. Or maybe we need to talk to a counselor. I had problems with anger um, besides the drug problems from when we were kids. But... Uh, I needed to talk to someone and, and work through that. Uh, I'm not ashamed of that because that helped me to see that all that was important to me, I was giving up because I could not control this problem and learning yeah. uh, to control that. So uh, how do we help those people demonstrating aberrant behavior on the job to find success so that they can now be loyal, committed employees to help us achieve our goals? And I think that's a great life lesson. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of and talking to an audience of, of business owners and leaders of, in various stages. And I think the point there is, if you know, you yourself could be that mentor or guide to someone that in your community, maybe at your church, maybe down the street, you know, whether it's a younger person or even uh, not so young, I 
I um I had a neighbor uh, back in the 08 time frame who had lost his job with Texas Instruments. He was a 30-year employee electrical engineer and in the big financial crash, you know, he lost his his job and he was devastated cuz he had you know, uh, midlife and uh, no experience like that at all. And I mean, he went in a deep, dark spiral really fast and, you know, reaching out to him and trying to encourage him and get him to go other places to look for opportunity. And um, and I'm not trying to sound self-aggrandizing, but just seeing someone in need that, that needs that extra word to kind of redeem them from the moment they're in. Mm. And uh, there's there's a lot to be said for us helping others in that journey. And then, yeah, the one more story, uh, Carrie, um, who herself was an at-risk youth who um, uh, joined an agency who worked, she would work with at-risk youth, you know, kids who are in a very bad situation uh, for whatever's happening, drug problems or parents, things are coming apart. So they remove them from that situation and put them with someone else. Uh, and sometimes they're in a situation where once the money runs out, then the person who is fostering them doesn't want to deal with them anymore. So Carrie had lived through that. And she was part of this agency and helping these kids. What an incredible advocate. But, you know, Carrie burned out. You know, she did it and, and it just tore her heart out and she couldn't do it anymore. So th there are so many people who need that encouragement and help. And, and we count on agencies, organizations, often underfunded groups to do these things. And those people on the front line are often carrying tremendous weight and don't always, aren't always able to, to see through. It's very emotional work, but again, you change a life, you affect a destiny when you're able to help that person write the ship. And um, it, it's remarkable. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Joseph, on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up. And thank you so much for bringing this to us. And, and thank you for your work uh, exploring all these things. We're um, folks, we're going to have a lot of information in our show notes about uh, Joseph's books and, and the studies he's done. And tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you, Joseph, if they're interested in, in another discussion. Great. So www.josephjbucci.com is a website. I'm also teaching here at Regent University, uh, so they can find me at Regent's website. The book uh, uh, is Redemption, Inc., uh, available at all of your favorite online retailers, and we're trying to get into stores next and working on Audible. We're hoping awesome. to do that very soon. Awesome. Well, and, and again, thank you for your this work and, and the important message. So, folks, I'm I'm gonna make kind of a summary statement here. I'm 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 gonna wrap it up and and say if if you're a leader in your business life or even in your community and you see an opportunity with someone who has taken a slip and fall in whether it's um, character judgment or otherwise. Uh, take a hard look and see if there's a redemption opportunity before you simply write them off or or send them out the door. Uh, 
especially if it's an employee that you've already invested a lot of time and energy in, maybe they've just had a momentary lapse and it's worth your time to reevaluate and see if there's a way to put a redemption program together, give them a second chance and um, take that to heart. You, you might really win in the long run. So on that note, I do want to remind everybody that if you're listening to us on your audio channel uh, streaming service, we do have a video of this show over on YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. And I would invite you to hop over there and join us. Subscribe to the channel, leave us a comment, thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever uh, suits you. But we'd love to hear your feedback and tell us more about uh, what you might be interested in hearing next. So for now, I'm going to sign off, say thank you for listening in. Hope to see you again real soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.